I'm just glad you're here and looking forward to this final in the series on Faithful Steward. Would you join me in prayer? And let's ask God to just speak to our hearts in a special way today. Father, what we did with the finances you've entrusted into our care was very important with, uh, to Christ long ago. What we do with them today is very important to him now. He sort of views it as a, as a choice, a choice to love him or choice to love that which is he, he is entrusted into our care, namely mammon or money. And uh, so, my Father, I don't want there to be any question in my life that I love him more than money. And all that in an earthly sense it can buy, all the influence it can have, Lord, I want you to know in my heart. And I want this church, as we walk through this service, to say, unquestionably, we want to be known as a church that loves you more than money. Stir us to that end. Help us not to approach this thing as if it were a commandment but to approach the stewardship of funds out of a heart that loves you. For truthfully, the test of our love is what we do with the funds you've entrusted to us. So help us, Father, to improve and to grow in this area. Forgive any of us who may think we've arrived Help us to learn that none of us will ever achieve the level of giving that the one who was rich and became poor for our sakes models for us. Be our guide as we unpackage an important paragraph in your book. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and I'll sort of, while you're doing that, if you can multitask, I'll whip through what we've done in the first three studies in this series and we come to the final one today. Here's what we've talked about. A faithful steward. A faithful steward is one who desires to win the favor of the one whose assets and affairs he or she manages. And we've learned already, I own, God owns he is entrusted into my care a portion of what is his. I can increase or I can diminish what he's entrusted into my care. And it may be at any moment that I will be having a conversation with the owner of all that's been given to me. Those are the four big ideas in being a faithful steward. And may God burn them into our hearts well into this new year, 2014. Now, what we've talked about specifically with regard to things he's entrusted into our care are the people that sleep under the same roof that we do. I sort of like being an empty nester. Hello? 
Any empty nesters get what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the only time some of you Baptists have raised your hands in church. I enjoy being this empty nester that uh, just enjoys being a steward of the relationship, the most important earthly relationship I have with my bride. We talked about those relationships. Some of the relationships you still have under your roof include not only your spouse, but your children. And if you were children, it includes your parents. And so those are relationships that are highly important, as Pastor Tim taught us from the book of Ephesians, as well as the book of Nehemiah. And no, no, oh no, don't come down off that wall at building that relationship, being a good steward of that family relationship he's given you. Then we are stewards of stewards. That is a spiritual family. Under this roof this morning, there's some people around you that are God's gift to you. They belong to him, and he's entrusted them to you. And uh, he wants to know one of these days, how have you done in that relationship and this study that we did from the book of 1 Corinthians, the end of the third chapter, the beginning of the fourth. We did it last Lord's Day. It specifically talks about one relationship under this roof, and that's the relationship you have with the one who is responsible or is a steward of the mysteries of God, the one who shares the word of God to build the church of God with you. And what a great time to have that study. The PST is meeting tomorrow night. You know what PST is? Hey, three are listening. So you got it. Give him an A, if you will, and uh, we'll move ahead. It is this whole idea of being a good steward of the one who is the steward of the flock here. And I told you last week, worth repeating, it'll be on tape so that I can come back and prove I said it if I have to. I'll come back and haunt you if you're not a good steward of that relationship. Would you smile? <laughs> well, if you don't want me back, handle it well. I know you will. It's a great church to shepherd, and I'm excited about the potential that's coming for you. Now, having said that, I want to come to the last in the series, and it's in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul talks about this idea of testing our stewardship of finances. And he talks about it to the church at Corinth. Watch how he does it. In the second book, a second letter he wrote to Corinth, after the church had made some changes and now have become more mature, Paul in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and in verse 8 addresses this whole subject of being good stewards of finances. We make known to you, Paul said, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And then the eighth verse, slipping down from the fifth to the eighth, 
I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others, and adding a phrase, in their liberal giving. I want to unpackage that paragraph with you with three big ideas on this subject of stewardship. Here's the first. There's a stewardship model that is laid out for these believers in the church at Corinth. Would you look this way one second? Church, I believe the church in America has overdone it when it comes to secrecy and giving. Now, what I don't want you to hear before I make any other comment, people are going, oh, no, in minds, I can hear them now. Oh, no, Larry thinks we ought to be public about how much we give. That's not what I said, and that's not what I'm saying. So if you hear it out in the hallway, would you correct them for me, please? You got my back? Good. Okay. Now, here's the deal. I think we've overdone this secrecy thing. I know there are those who are going to say, well, Larry, doesn't the word say, didn't the Lord say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing? So nobody in the church should know what anybody else in the church is doing with regard to this subject of giving. Well, the answer to that question is no. The Lord in the Sermon in, on the Mount did not say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You know what he said? He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, how can I do that? My left hand's going to know that my right hand writes a check and even how much it, the check is written for. I can't keep it from my left hand. No, that's not what he's saying. Let me help you with what he's saying. He's saying, stop announcing to yourself how generous you are with your giving. In other words, don't be proud of your giving. Why? People who are proud of their giving, well, I gave so much more than others. I've had people over the years in ministry who've come up to try to find out. I have no idea what individuals I do not know here. I will never know in any church I'm a part of and didn't know when I was a lead pastor anywhere. That's not where I'm headed. But I have people come up and say, what, what can you do, Pastor, to tell me if I gave more than anybody else? It's like, what? Wrong standard. The standard is not, am I as liberal as other believers in my giving? I know we conservatives don't like the word liberal, but you know what I mean. Here's the question. Does my liberality ever come anywhere near the only ultimate standard who though he was rich far beyond all worlds put together though he was rich yet for your sakes he generously he liberally gave it all so that you who were poor might become rich that's the standard and so I know that not only Larry and Elaine, but this entire church family needs this challenge today because we've yet to reach that limit. Yo? So, in reaching that limit, the Spirit of God through Paul's mind seems to know we all need models that prove or that show or that are tangible 
evidence of liberality and giving. And that's what the churches of Macedonia were. And Paul knew it. And he was holding them up. Not as secret. You don't need to know what they are doing. But quite the opposite in a transparent way saying they are extremely wonderful models who are growing toward Christ-likeness in this whole matter of being liberal with their giving. And watch, and by the way, who are these churches in Macedonia? If you know anything about church history, they are to the north of the church of Corinth, some distance. They are actually on the continent of Europe, and they're the cities primarily of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So they're the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and the Bereans that Paul is talking about. As he says, I hold them up to other churches as the model for liberality in their giving. Now watch how he words it. He says, they have experienced the grace that turned poverty into liberality. In other words, look this way if you will. It's really amazing how Paul plays on words here. Out of the abundance of their poverty, they were the most liberal of all in giving. Isn't that phenomenal? From the Lord's perspective and the Spirit of God's perspective, these poor people who couldn't in any way outgive another actually outgave others. But how could that be? They had almost nothing to give with. And I could talk about the poverty they were in. They literally had no coins to give. And yet somehow they came up with the ability to do some major giving. But watch it. How could they be so liberal in their abundant poverty? How could that happen? Because... The Lord does not measure giving by quantity. It's not who gave more than the other. Quantitatively. How many more dollars did I give than anybody else? That wasn't the question. For the Lord, it's far different. You remember the story, don't you, of the Lord Jesus sitting with his disciples watching giving done transparently in that day. Everybody watched as people went by and gave. And as they gave, there is one at the end of the line who gave. And the Lord made this announcement. She gave more than all. How can that be, Lord? All she gave was a pence. Or maybe two. I don't remember the exact detail. All I know it was a pittance compared to all the rest. But Jesus said she was more liberal in her giving than they were. Why? You know the answer to that because she gave everything she had. The whole thing, not 10% church. She gave 100% that day. The whole deal. Nothing left in the bank account when she got done giving. That's what it is to be abundant in poverty but liberal in giving. It's not the amount. It's the heart behind the amount. And we're going to build on that. Paul builds on that as we walk on through it. He said they were a great model because they responded to the grace of God 
because they longed for being a part of the work that God was doing. Now look at me. Do, do you think God's doing some things here at Heritage? Well, there's a real profound, solid answer. How about shouting out together, yo! God's doing some great stuff, beloved. Do you know, last year the light was turned on somewhere in excess of 400 times. You say, well, that was not us winning individuals to Christ. Well, we all need to grow in winning individuals. But we are partnering together with a lot of ministries in a lot of places and over 400 people through our partnerships, some local, some global, so that we are globally communicating the gospel. Can I create that new word again? What's happening? There are churches, my beloved, who go 40 years without ever seeing 400 people making professions of faith in Christ. That means God's doing something. Watch this. You know how I know he's doing something? When 85 men show up for a prayer breakfast that's going to end up talking about purity, I know God's at work. I know places, churches, where you couldn't get eight men to come and talk about that great need in life. And when there are men humble enough to say, "My, uh, to not allow their hearts to lie to them and say, well, I don't need that. Instead, when men are humble enough to say, I won't let my heart deceive me, lest I fall, I will show up. I know God's changing hearts. Pretty big stuff. When parents are meeting together Sunday night and Wednesday night in small groups, saying, please, other people, help me with my marriage and my parenting skills. I know some things are going on in homes here that aren't going on in many other churches because they don't even think about trying to help people in that area. But people are humble enough to say in heart, help me. I know God's doing some things. When eight people, when you don't even have a lead pastor, when eight people are willing to say, I want to talk to somebody about how to be a part of this church body. And if you haven't done that yet, I want to say to you, God's doing some things here that is far greater than in many churches that I've watched around this globe and in this country. And you need to have this sense, and you who are thinking about it need to have this sense. God is at work doing some mighty things. And if you really believe that, you won't need someone to say, here's the budget, here's the income, better kick it up. There's better motivation than to say, well, I just want to give what it's really, really needed. If you see God at work, my beloved, he is, and there's so many more ways that I couldn't begin to touch. If you really have this sense that God is at work, then your heart shouts out, I want to be a part of that. And I will become a part in membership, but more than that, I will become a part of that as much as I can that God is entrusted into my care. I can lay at the feet of others and say, keep letting God work. Please, 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 please. 
Do you remember reading in what we just said? They implored us. They begged us with urgency. Let us give. Because we want to be a part of what God is doing. You know what I'm trying to say to you? I quit a long, long, long time ago telling people that giving is a matter of obedience. And I know there's a sense in which it is the whole 10% thing, but that's been overblown. 10%'s God, 90%'s mine? No, stewardship says it's all God's. I own nothing. And so the whole idea is, well, I'm going to give my 10% and that takes care of it. No, it's please, 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 let me give more. It's not a matter of law. I stopped that. It's now a matter of love. Hello? It's now a matter of love. Do I love the God who purchased me with his own blood? And do I love the work that he is doing? If I do, I don't need to be told to give. There's a gal sitting down front here. She switched sides because she was cold on that side. Poor Elaine. <laughs> she knows that if she says to me more than once, it'd be nice if we could have blank. She knows good and well I'll move heaven and earth if it's in my power to give that to her. Why? Well, once she's spoiled. That's not the reason, because she's not. She's given up so much to do what we do. I would move heaven and earth because I love her. And you transfer that from this earthly relationship, and that's multiplied a thousand times, a thousand times, squared all over again. God, this is what I want you to do, God would say. Be a good steward of what I have given you. How can I but give liberally as the Macedonian churches? When he's loved me so, I can now say, I love him because he first loved me. And a proof, we'll get to the test in a minute, a proof that I love him is not that I have to be told to give, but it is that I cannot be kept from giving. So you're not going to hear a message that calls you to obedience, rather one that calls you to love. Yo. Now, in this text, as it continues to unfold, there's a stewardship is viewed as a matter of priority for they first gave themselves. In other words, look at what's on the screen. The faithful steward first gives up before he or she gives. Gives up what? Self. Listen very carefully. 
Again, I keep saying it, look this way, because I don't want you to miss this kind of stuff. You know what my favorite breakfast is? Like you care? My favorite breakfast is ham and eggs. I could eat that lunch and dinner. Same thing in the same day, all day long. That would, that'd be heaven to me. <coughs> ham and eggs. Some of you who thought this through before or heard it, you'd, you'd say, I know where it's going. We had ham and eggs yesterday morning. It was in the omelet form. Heaven. Cheese on top of it. Other gunk in it. And ham and eggs. Omelet. And I thought about it again for this message in it reminded the egg uh, the egg came from a hen that gave but didn't give up in the sense we're talking about it the ham came from a pig that didn't just give he gave up he gave up everything himself his whole life so that I could enjoy my breakfast. It's exactly what's happening in this text. We think money's given to us, for us. No, 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 a thousand times no. It's not for us to lavish on stuff that will burn and pass away that we think will be make life comfortable and easy for us. Well, if your goal is to have an easy and comfortable life, your reward's going to be left right here. But if my goal and yours is to give up ourselves so that we can lay up treasures that are eternal because of our love that's eternal for the God who is eternal, then we give up ourselves what have you done to deny yourself to thereby prove your love for the one who bought you by giving up himself for you? Coming right back at it again, it's a matter of love. If I love him who bought me, I crucify myself. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but the one who crucified himself lives in me. And I live not by my faith, but by the faith of the one who gave himself up. Makes all the difference in the world in our giving. A whole lot easier to give when you give yourself up. And then lastly, and more briefly, Paragraph concludes in the eighth verse with the stewardship test. When he says, I'm testing the sincerity of your what? Your love. By the diligence of the love of others. It's literally what he's saying. The word testing is an important Greek word that was a common word. In the New Testament, it talked about the genuine thing. And it generally referred to their coins, their money. 
And you need to know this. They made their coins out of soft metal, melted it down by the fire, and then poured the liquid metal into a mold that quickly cooled and hardened. They dumped it out of the mold and filed off any rough edges, and they had an exact coin with the exact weight that was a genuine coin currency of the day. But it was so easy to counterfeit that there were those criminal-like people who would melt the genuine coins down and they would make a lot of money by melting them, pouring them into their molds that you couldn't tell were any different. But they were molds that held less, not as much weight in coinage in the metal, less metal. And then they would turn around and use those as currency. They were counterfeit, if you will. And so the Apostle Paul picked on that term and he said, there are those churches over here that are the genuine, full-weight, real-deal, Christ-like lovers, and they prove it in their giving. And I'm putting your love to the test. I'm putting them on the scale. And when nothing is on this side of the scale, the genuine real deal is on this side of the scale. It goes like this. And now, church at Corinth, I'm putting you on that scale. And it's going like this. And the question I'm asking you is, are you the real deal or are you counterfeit? Are you genuinely what the genuine real deal givers are or is there less there than what the Lord requires more than that than what he expects and more than that most importantly what he desires for you a heart that genuinely loves him counterfeit real deal the test is how you measure up to the model. That's the test. I had some great models in my life. My grandfather, I think I told you this story once before, my grandfather, back in the early 50s, was very destitute as a farmer because the last year's crops failed and he had no money left over in order to plant the new crops so that he continued to survive as a farmer. So he went to a banker and said, I want to borrow some money from you. The banker said, how much do you want? He said, $1,000. And if you were present that day, you could almost hear the banker laugh and smirk a bit. It's like I've turned down men who have asked for far less than that who are worth more than you are. Though we didn't say it, you could... In the story, just tell that's the sense of it. And my grandfather then said, but let me explain. I need $900 for seed and for fuel to plant and cultivate the seed. And I'm asking for an extra $100 because I haven't been able to give a church for a long, long, long time. The banker said, I'll give you what you've asked for. His whole countenance changed. I'll give it to you. Because a man who wants to give to the Lord in his work 
can't be trusted to pay it back. It's yours. That year, my grandfather's crop far outdid at harvest time any farmer that bordered his property. That's not an accident. Can I tell you? Here's what Grandpa taught me, what he modeled for me. And the day we got married, Elaine and I purposed this is our life, and it's been that for 44 and a half years, 42 of which have been pretty happy. First check we ever wrote as a couple was to God's work. Second thing we did every check we got was to pay the rent. Third thing we did was pay the utilities. Fourth thing we did as God gave us kids was then out of each paycheck to buy clothes if they were needed for the kids, often going without some of them ourselves. And then the last thing we purchased was food. And I wish somehow I could jump in the heads of young couples who are just starting out. You don't need all the stuff to start out that our culture tells us we need. We own one thing. A rocking chair was a gift to us. We rented a place that had one of these beds that folded out of the wall. And that's really all we had to our name. We moved everything in the back seat of a 1968 Dodge Charger. And by starting the way we did, I, I almost told the first group, I almost didn't share this because I don't want you to see me as the model or Elaine. We're poor models. We had models and we followed those. And this is what we can now say. No, I don't like it. Same thing the old prophet said. I was young. We were young. And now we're old. <laughs> and never have we or our seed gone begging breath. Not once. We gave it because it was modeled for us. Not because it was mandated to us. We did it because we love him more than life itself. Wish that were fully and totally and 100% true, but in a measure, I've spoken the truth from my heart. Your turn. So, what I give to always is an indicator of what I love. Go home and Bring up on the web your bank account and your recent activity. And do some addition in categories and then ask the question, what do I love? 
I spend my money on what I love. Is God in there? Is the investment that you have made from your checkbook, from your home, from your accounts, does it say, I love God and I want to be a partner with the eternal work that he is doing? Secondly, God is not after your money. He's after your love. I got news for you. God doesn't need my money. Somebody say yo. That's like saying, you know, Donald Trump, how much can I give you to help you out here? Not even like saying that. It's the one who owns the worlds and all that in them is and shall be and ever was. He doesn't need my money. He needs my heart, my love. That's what he longs for. The most dreadful words that any father can hear from his child is, Dad, I hate you. I love me more than you. I can't imagine saying that to my father. What do our accounts say to our father? Oh, please, he wants to hear, I love you. So your money, Paul says, is a test of your love for him. Let me talk to you about the first time I ever got to give. First paycheck I ever got working for someone else was the summer after I graduated from high school. Got an 80-some dollar paycheck, big money back in the 60s. First thing I thought was, why does Uncle Sam need so much? next thought I had was for once, first time in my life I earned some money by working and was rewarded with a wage and I got to give $8 of that $80 to my Lord and for the first time it wasn't something my dad or my mom put in my hand it was from my heart to him from that day to this, I've never begrudged a penny. I've wanted to give because he's given me a heart that loves him. So I've come today to say, God tells you to give a tenth, give it. It's a matter of obedience. I've come to tell you it's far deeper than that. It's a matter of a father looking for a son, a daughter, a child who will say, I love you, Lord. I lay this in your hands to worship you. Never, never, never should we have to say, give more because the work demands it.
give ever increasingly, liberally, generously, because God deserves it. He bought you with his blood. Amen. Just stand with me, please, with heads and hearts bowed. I'm not going to sing through an invitation, but we are giving one. I'm going to ask you to bow your hearts and heads, no one looking around. I'd like you to tell the Lord honestly where your love has been. Will you? As evidenced by my giving, Lord, here's the measure of my love. Then will you ask God, help me to kick it up in 2014 and prove my love all the more? To prove that it's genuine and real. To gladly give myself first and then to you above and beyond. Because you first loved me. That commitment needs to be made in heart. Make it to him today, please. No one. Don't walk out without doing business with God in that area. Nobody's arrived. Ask him to help you do more. My friend, you may be here and have no idea what we're talking about. What I didn't read was the ninth verse, which says to you, many who may be here and not know what it is to have a heavenly father provides and a relationship with him. We're told by Paul in the ninth verse of the text we just looked at that the greatest model is the one who was rich who became poor for your sake that you might be made rich. Genuine riches are not in money. They're in relationships. And above all, it's a relationship with God forever. And if you have never believed, this is a call to believe. Believe what, Pastor Larry? Believe the good news of the gospel. That he who was rich, who was in heaven at the right hand of the Father, gave up all the streets of gold and gates of pearl and equality with the Father and the ownership of it all. He gave it up and made himself a servant, became impoverished without even a place to lay his head, and ultimately so impoverished that on his back on Calvary's cross, he became the poorest of all. He became my sin. So that by shedding his blood there, I can become what he is, holy and without blame, in the presence of the Father, rich relationally with God. Would you say one thing to God today? From your hearts, not even a prayer, just let your heart shout out, I believe God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, his son, will have a relationship forever. Do you believe? question. Let your heart at this moment say, I believe. Before you leave, if your heart has shouted that out to God, tell the person sitting beside you, or I'll be here in front, come and tell me, we want to rejoice with you 
or tell the person who invited you to come today, tell them so that we can rejoice together that you now love the Lord who bought you with his own blood. He loved you so much. Thank you, my Father, for giving so freely. Thank you for all you've entrusted into our care. Help us to be good stewards because we love you. In Jesus' name.